Welcome, everyone, to the Towards Wholeness podcast, where we are seeking to offer people steps that they can take toward wholeness in both spirit and soul and body. Today, I'm privileged to be interviewing guests from both coasts, from Boston and uh, a suburb of Seattle. Bev and Shelton are with us, Bev Emerson and Shelton Oakley, who are both part of Nuance Formation, a diverse group of spiritual directors with backgrounds in entrepreneurship, corporate business, coaching, nonprofit management, and interfaith and intercultural relationships. They're doing a great work, and they've taken their work in helping others to pay attention to what God is doing in individuals and organizational lives and integrated this with conflict resolution learnings pioneered by Essential Partners, which comes out of Cambridge, Massachusetts. And I want to share with you why this matters today. I know I just read an article this morning when I woke up, something sent to me by a friend, uh, and it's an article written by a conservative theologian, and he essentially says that he's concerned for the future of our American democracy and also concerned for the health of churches. He is in the midst of seeing in many churches a polarization over political issues and theological issues and ethical issues that is so deep and so profound, unlike anything he's ever seen in his 55 years, that he says churches are dividing and people are becoming so tribal that they're finding it impossible to relate to people who, though they share the same faith, have a different political persuasion or a different point of view on some ethical issue, let alone people of different faiths. And so the question on the table for many of us increasingly is how do we have redemptive conversations with people who hold profoundly different beliefs on certain issues? It could be political, it could be ethical questions, it could be theological, but whatever it is, we have these different views and it seems that we can't have these conversations. I know families didn't meet over Thanksgiving and it wasn't because of COVID. It had to do Uh, with politics, and they cannot be at the same table, parents and children. I know people within the church that I lead who are very angry at other people in the same church that I lead because of politics, and they have broken fellowship. Others for ethical issues, others for social issues, others for theological issues, but it's a problem. And so Bev and Shelton are pioneering this work that they've called Kingdom Conversations in order to equip you and I to have conversations that are redemptive. And so I counted a great privilege, Bev and Shelton, to have both of you with me today to talk about Kingdom Conversations. Thanks so much for joining me. It's great to be here. Thanks so much, Richard, for having us. It's exciting to talk about this. It feels like a big lift, but we're going to take it one step at a time. I'd like to begin by backing up the train and asking you how you came to develop this kingdom conversation construct. Share a bit of that story with me. You know, it starts with what you started with. Like we personally and professionally saw these divides happening um, in my work in Boston with engaging across lines of difference, whether that be racially, culturally, uh, interreligiously. I saw that the work started to become actually easier amongst people who lived in close proximity with one another. And the impossibility of conversation became between people who had no touch point 
And so it got me curious because some of the, those touch points that were lacking in the city of Boston were my family members in Alabama or um, friends in different parts of the country who have never had a conversation with somebody in my neighborhood. Um, and I found that I disagreed with them more than I did my Black Muslim friend in Boston. And so just realizing like there's something interesting happening here and there's a gap of conversation and touch point of proximity and it's creating a massive divide. So essentially it's because relationships matter because we're called to be in relationship with God and others and ourselves and we feel it so deeply. And the only way to really preserve those relationships is to communicate in healthy ways. I think of Priya Parker who's renowned author of a book called The Art of Gathering. And she's quoted saying, we stay in places of an unhealthy peace. And I really love that because it's true. Like we stay in our comfort zones. We stay in our in our places of peace and we don't recognize that they're unhealthy when we're pointing the finger at other people who have become the target of unhealth. I love that, Shelton. I will say that The why that brings me into this work and that was part of having Shelton and I start this together was that I knew from lived experience that it is possible to live in deep relationship and have very differing views. I have been married for over 30 years to a man whom I dearly love, and we have very similar base values, and we have never voted the same on national elections. (laughs) And yet we talk about it. We, We are able to have conversations, and we are able to go to sleep at night loving each other deeply. And so as I watched this world disintegrate into fractions of all different types, wait, there has to be a way. And started to take a look at what we were practicing at home and how I've changed the way I've looked at conflict over the years. And so that's the why for me is a deeply personal it can be done. I have to say, I love that phrase that you mentioned, Shelton, the staying in places of unhealthy peace. Mm. You know, like many people do, uh, all of us, I, I'm sure at various times in our lives, get stuck and maybe we're not even aware of it. I know when I visit the chiropractor, I walk in feeling like I'm already aligned and then he works his magic and I come out, I go, man, I didn't know how bad it was. Because my body had adapted to that that sense of normalcy. And it feels like we're in this kind of cultural moment where we are collectively adapting to being super polarized and super angry and super unable to talk to people. I'm wondering if either of you could address why it's worse now than it used to be before we get into talking about solutions. Oh, Bev, I, I, you and I debated on who wanted to talk about this. Um, this is such a tough one. You know, I mean, what do you say? Like, Social Dilemma, if anybody saw that on, on Netflix, you know, claims that it's, it's media that's promoting echo chambers in which we're just reinforcing and being reinforced consciously and subconsciously our own ideas and the things that matter to us most. Also reinforcing the the frustration and the polarization 
of others. Because so much of the rhetoric we hear is divisive. One could point to that. One could point to our racial history as our original sin and and finally kind of coming to terms with the fact that we're going to have to start looking at that and looking how much that shapes our ideologies. And if you're in proximity to people who are different identities than you, whether that be sexual identity, uh, racial identity, cultural identity, religious identity, oftentimes it's a less scary thing. And when you're farther apart, it's more scary. And has that happened with urbanization and suburbanization and the increase in urbanization? There are many factors here. I honestly feel like as much as we've grappled with it, even though it's important, I think, to name some of the sources, I think the more important thing for Bev and I as spiritual directors is to look at the sources in our own lives. Start to really focus on, rather than the collective, like what is motivating me, keeping me in a place of such an echo chamber? Why do I want to carry around the tension of being at odds with my own family members? Why does that feel more peaceful than actually engaging them? So I think we feel like this invitation to kind of help people point to what is happening more specifically for them during this time. Uh, relationships are suffering and it's hard for people to admit to that. Not many people want to say I'm no longer talking to my brother or I didn't go to that Thanksgiving meal because of this. I said I didn't go because of this, but really thank God COVID. And forward movement movements become impossible and it's resulted in this stunted imagination in which people can't even imagine how we would work together or convene together or engage with one another, let alone worship together and create intimate community growing toward the person of Christ. The only thing I would add to what you said, Shelton, is that we as individuals have become lonelier and lonelier with social media and people aren't in relationship as much face to face. And we want to feel validated. We want to be surrounded by people who say, yeah, Bev, I agree with you. Awesome. And it's almost like that need to feel good and be validated, I think also prevents people from walking into vulnerable conversations where they might learn something that has a potential for changing their perspective. And maybe they won't agree with their tribe as much as they used to. And so I think there's some of that going on as well. So if I were to approach the two of you with a desire for this kind of conversation, and I said to you, look, uh, I have a friend, and we have literally stopped talking about X, politics, same-sex marriage, Islam, whatever. We can't talk about it because it's so inflaming, and it's because it's so important to one or both of us that it's hard to even be in the same room because just seeing that person angers me because it remi- I just see that they're so misguided, but I want to fix it. Let's, pr- let's say I want to fix it. My question then becomes, can you unlock the concept of this kingdom conversation? How do we do this? This makes me want to share a really important component of why we're offering a structured conversation with spaciousness and an outside facilitator. And the reason we're doing that versus then just, you know, writing a blog and saying, try these four things in your conversations. It's kind of like when you're learning to read, you know, if you've forgotten... You need to go back to the building blocks. And it feels like what we're offering is a building block space, 
a different kind of experience, as we say, plant seeds in people that conversations can be different. When you're walking into a conversation where you're bringing into the conversation fear, grief, anger, trauma, anxiety, that's going to shape how the conversation plays out. And it's really hard to process those emotions in real time in a way that allows you to acknowledge them and put them in the right place and to move forward in a healthy way. And so I hear from people all the time, like, well, I tried to have this conversation or I brought it up over the Thanksgiving table or, you know, I was talking to my parents about holiday plans, but then I just mentioned about the, you know, politics and they're like, it doesn't work. Well, two things I think are really important. One is the lack of invitation into these conversations. If somebody doesn't want to be a part of this conversation, freely let them out of it is the first thing that we would say. Uh, Kingdom conversations are conversations specifically for people who want to be a part of the conversation, who want to be part of a type of conversation where you are there to not change people's minds, but you're there to have an experience of being heard and hearing others in a meaningful way, to come away with an experience where you feel like you understand more deeply, not just another person's perspective, but your own, because you've had to clarify it and you've had to think about it before you said it out loud, because you've had to hold back and you've had to share with brevity and meaning in a timed space. And so we're really encouraging this more structured experience, not because it's the model necessarily going forward for having conversations with your parents or your loved ones or your neighbors, or your coworkers. Workers, but because it's a reminder that it can be fruitful. It's to give people a deposit, if you will, <laughs> like a positive conversation deposit um, that you can have difficult conversations meaningfully. And I think we're needing to go back to the beginning and have more structured spaces. From that point, we can begin to build on there. What tools can you take with you into your more informal conversations who can you meaningfully invite into conversation and also give them freedom to say no if they're not ready? What emotions are you going to be more aware of that you're bringing into these conversations that you haven't been before because you've taken time to listen to yourself and somebody's created the space and reflection for you? That's amazing. I think it elicits a bunch of questions for me. One of the things you wrote when we were in conversation prior to the podcast that we were doing is you're trying to create the, the spaciousness that invites forward an emotional self-awareness necessary for fruitful conversation. In other words, am I aware when I'm feeling anger welling up within me? Am I aware when I'm feeling judgment welling up within me? Can you talk a little bit about your experience in facilitating conversations and how you move people toward that kind of self-awareness? What we do in facilitated dialogue is to intentionally make space between each person's response to a given question that we lay out there. So there is silence and room for people to recognize that when, Richard, you said something, wow, that triggered me. And just having that two minutes of silence, which is actually quite a bit of time when you are having you know, these conversations, allows someone to recognize what they're feeling and also to perhaps go underneath a, deep, a deeper layer and say, huh, what is that fear about? What is that anger about? And so it's done through intent. 
intentional use of space and silence that people can hear what their own bodies are telling them sometimes in the middle of these conversations. When their throat's getting tight, when their stomach is thunking, we give them space and we recognize that in that space, something really special happens that can help propel conversations forward out of that emotional understanding. I love that link that you just made, Bev, between the body and the soul and spirit. What you articulated was that there's a physiological reaction that that happens. And I just echo that so wholeheartedly. I know throughout the election cycle, there have been periods when I would be watching uh, the news on TV. I could feel my heart just starting to thump, and I have one of those watches that tells me my pulse. And it could be up to 103, and I'm just sitting there watching, watching the news. And I think to myself, what on earth is going on? But it is this physiological response that is kind of a, it's like a warning light on a car or something. It's like something is going on there. And so my follow-up question is, when we feel these physiological responses happening in us, is it a fight or flight thing? And flight doesn't feel very king to me. And fight doesn't feel very king to me either. <laughs> what do I do with that when that's arising? If that makes sense as a question? Yeah, that makes complete sense, actually. So, I mean, some of what you're describing, right, is that impulse reactionary moment when we feel that threat and threat feels like a hard word, right? But that's oftentimes what our body is responding to is something feels like something's crossed us in our comfort zone and we, our bodies take over, right? And so in conversation, a lot of the time people get into a conversation, they think I'm talking about this issue, but really as Brene Brown says, we're emotional beings that sometimes think. We're emotionally having conversation with one another. We're having conversation with one another's emotions and we're putting words to it. And so what do you do in this moment other than fight, flight, or freeze? You acknowledge. I mean, that really is, I think, what we're offering to people is to make that mind-body-spirit connection and to realize that when Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit and we try to apply that applicably to these difficult conversations, we can't just decide by sheer will to be patient or to have self-control. There are many, many, many steps in between there. And the many steps in between are to practice over and over and over again, acknowledging your the emotions, the physical symptoms that are coming up. And what happens after you do that a number of times is you begin to expect them. And that expectation actually prepares you better in these conversations. So once you notice it more quickly, you can acknowledge it and then place it in its rightful place. I oftentimes like to even imagine myself or say as a facilitator, you know, you had that emotion. I'd like you to acknowledge it, put a a hand on the place of your body that's feeling that tension. And then just imagining God asking you to lay that aside for a moment until the end of the conversation. The emotion shouldn't be done away with. It's still really important, but it can keep us from having fruitful conversation. Um, And it can also mislead us, right? We think we're talking about this really important thing that's really important to us, but we're really talking about how we're talking about our pain. We're talking about our lack of belonging. Um, It's just hidden under all the context and content. So I think just the idea of of acknowledging, of getting a practice of acknowledging and then coming to expect that and then being able to let it pass by while you get back to the main goal of hearing and being heard. 
So Bev, in light of that, counseling people toward that end and teaching people to be present with their emotions, you must find a wide array of response. I'm wondering what are some of the unique challenges and joys that have unfolded as you've begun this journey of facilitating kingdom conversations? It is a wide array of emotions. And I think as I facilitate out of learning, but also out of personal experience, it is this sense of um, being willing to recognize that first and foremost, this is actually hard work. We stay married through election to election because we work at it. And so I think that we're kidding ourselves if we think that our feelings towards our brother who we don't agree with or our sister in Christ who we don't agree with um, is going to change instantaneously. It's simply not going to happen, but it does happen over time with practice and with the intentional commitment to stay at it. And it's that practice of asking questions where we're more engaged with what is behind someone else's opinion and they suddenly feel heard and we can link into that pain, that trauma that is behind the voice that they are speaking. And so while your question is about emotion, in some ways to me, the journey of bringing people to a place where they can have really good, healthy conversations and live in healthy peace um, is about practicing it and staying with it. You had a group in uh, December that uh, was a gathering of people of varying identities. Can you talk a little bit about what that actually looked like and what happened and what makes it so meaningful? Sure. So we actually um, intentionally invited six individuals from across the country, um, and we looked at lots of different identities, so age and geographic location, whether they lived in suburb area, urban area, rural area, um, where they fell politically. And uh, we personally invited them into this conversation about the election, and there were so many joys that came from it. First of all, we had people saying about one another, you know, I feel so endeared to you, even though I completely disagree with you. Just people saying the word healing, like it's really healing to know that I can have a conversation like this and I don't feel exhausted like I ran a marathon. To your point, Richard, right? Uh, That heart rate, (laughs) when it's up for two hours, you feel like you never want to do this again. And so just the experience of like, wow, this felt so healing. Like I had space. My body wasn't reacting to the conversation the whole time. That was such a joy to hear. Uh, One of our favorite things that came out of that conversation was um, at the end, and one of the young men, he just said, man, I'm leaving feeling so curious and wishing we had a lot more time to talk. Like we just got started and this has been so great. Um, And I have much more knowledge of even where I sit in this and the tension that I really feel rather than just proving my point. That was one of our favorites to be honest with you, Richard, because that's our, that's one of our goals, right? Is we want to, we want people to leave with curiosity, you know, and it's funny because it can feel like a dissatisfying you know, emotion of like, well, I I want more. And we're like, that's great. If we could all leave these conversations 
feeling like you want a little bit more, can you imagine what would come of that? And can you imagine what what fruitful ideas and collaborations could come of people wanting to hear more and being even more curious? So those are some of the joys that honestly, we just get to sit and bask in and be like, man, God's present here. This is cool. So we've we've been creators of this to some degree, but we've borrowed from a lot of people's wisdom who've been doing this work for a long time. And in a lot of ways, we've been receivers and witnesses to just how powerful it is when we hold a tight space and really encourage people to slow down. I, I love uh, the word awakening and the word curiosity that uh, seem to be fruits of what happens when people mm-hmm. come together with this intent. So as we kind of wrap this up, uh, my hope would be that there would be people asking the question, how can I take a step toward this kind of a conversation? What do I have to do? Do I contact you? Is there a book that you want me to read? What next steps can people take to become participants in these much, much needed conversations so that we can move toward once again, reconciled relationships, relationships of understanding? Richard, we would love to engage with people across this, and uh, we welcome them to contact us individually. Uh, you, you can let our emails be be known. Uh, we will also have up on the NUOS Formation website a landing page where people can actually sign up to participate in these dialogues that we will be scheduling in next year. And they'll be able to choose what conversation they want. Do they want to talk about politics? Is it more around COVID and masks and safety and family discussions that they want to have? So all of those will be available for people to do as next steps. If you're part of a church and you have a small group that wants to have a conversation like this, if you want to have somebody facilitate this for your family, we want to make ourselves available for something like that. This isn't going to start on the grandstand stage. This is going to start in each of our homes. It's going to be about each of us exploring our motivations for why we want to have these conversations in the first place. Is it to convince other people? Is it to change their minds? Or is it really to listen? Is it really to practice curiosity? So it's so much about this inextricable pairing between forward movement and collaboration and unity with uh, self-growth, spiritual formation, personal development. Those can't be removed from one another at this juncture in in our country's history. And it's time for individuals to kind of step up and say, I want to be an initiator of this type of conversation. We want to have an experience of something different. And so it could be, like Bev said, you signing up for an individual conversation or you foresee a conversation that could be had in one of your communities. And we're willing to do that, even in a workplace. And even it's about an issue that's very internal in your in your business. How do you have a conversation that's equitable? Maybe it isn't so heated, but maybe it's easy for people to dominate. We're about that work too. I mean, I love that. I, I think back, I've been a pastor now in the same church for 25 years. And I was probably about, I'm going to say 10 to 15 years ago, maybe closer to 15 years ago, uh, one summer, we, we did this thing called Hot Topics, right? And so on Wednesday nights in the summertime, people would come and it would be kind of a potluck uh, thing. And one week, we talked about gun control. And one week, we talked about same-sex marriage. And one week, we talked about gender identity issue. And, uh, 
and, a, and another week we talked about environmentalism and another week we talked about consumerism. And I got to say to you, 15 years ago, it was fun and redemptive, but it was like pre-Facebook, you know, pre-Instagram, pre-social media. And it felt, it felt like we had a muscle then collectively that we don't have now. And, and you had mentioned at the outset the social dilemma of film. I would really recommend people watch that so that we can see how really we have been not only mentally rewired, but even in a sense physiologically rewired in ways that move us toward tribalism. And what uh, Shelton and Bev are doing is they are giving us tools to swim upstream against that tribalism so that we can once again sit down with people of differing worldviews and be not only charitable, but learn along the way and deal with the uncomfortable emotions that sometimes ensue. This is a much needed conversation. And so I want to thank both of you for taking the time today to be with us. And I do have more questions about your larger ministry of nuance formation. So I hope we can have you back sometime a little bit later in 2021 for that conversation as well. We would love that. Uh, and I know we just kind of hit the tip of the iceberg and it was really, really meaningful to do so. So get in touch with us uh, for, with questions. We, we want to have these conversations with you. The information about Kingdom Conversations will be in the notes here for this particular podcast and uh, Bev thank you Shelton thank you and thank you listeners for joining us today on the Toward Wholeness podcast we'll see you next time